Notre Dame is set to wrap up spring practice tomorrow with the annual blue and gold game, but is it time to get rid of the spring game altogether? I'll tell you why it is coming up next. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to Locked On Irish. It is Friday, April 21st, and happy Friday to each of you, and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. As always, you can watch the show on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice I'm slowly but surely improving the backdrop here. Uh, shout out to Irish Woodworks for this monogram ND. I think it looks pretty cool, and to be honest, it was desperately needed because this white brick with no other decorations was getting kind of stale. So yeah, like the video, subscribe to the channel, and if you're on the go and listening to the podcast, please take a moment to hit that subscribe button. My name is Tyler Wojcik, and I am the host. I am a Notre Dame alum and producer for college football talent at Fox Sports. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about the Blue and Gold game, which is set to take place tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can stream the game on Peacock, everybody's favorite streaming service, uh, which is how I'll be tuning in. And it sounds like the broadcast is going to be a little bit different tomorrow. Former Notre Dame tight end Kyle Rudolph is going to be in the booth as the color commentator alongside Tony Simeone, who will be stepping in as the play-by-play guy. Plus, former Notre Dame All-American safety Kyle Hamilton is going to be one of the sideline reporters in this one. So that will be cool to see. Kyle's obviously no stranger to the media space um, as he used to host the Inside the Garage podcast during the 2021 season with Cam Hart. Connor Radigan and KJ Wallace. And I used to really enjoy that show. And to be honest with you guys, I can also relate to their setup because I do this podcast out of my garage as well, if you guys can't tell. I built a little studio in here once I found out I was going to be joining Locked On. It's coming along uh, pretty well, like I was saying. We're also going to do some mailbag questions at the end. Um, but while we're talking about Pika behind the curtain a little bit, I want to give you guys another peek uh, as it relates to how I was planning to do this show. Because when I woke up this morning, I fully anticipated that I would be doing a full-on spring game preview and almost treat it like a regular season matchup. But then as I was reading more about how they drafted the teams, the injury list, and the format of everything, I realized, wait, this kind of sucks. So you know what? I'm just going to come out and say it. We need to get rid of the blue and gold game. Now, hear me out. Hold on. I'll explain. The NCAA only allows teams to have 15 on-field practice sessions over a 34-day period for spring practice. Of those 15 on-field sessions, only 12 are allowed to involve contact, and of those 12, only 8 can involve tackling. So obviously, the blue and gold game counts toward those 8 because there is tackling. And even though we're still just over 4 months away from the start of the regular season, each one of these practices is extremely important to the development of the team. You know, Notre Dame's moving guys around like Lorenzo Styles at corner, they're trying guys out, getting some young guys in. These practices are paramount, and Notre Dame needs to take advantage of every single one of them. And at this point, the blue and gold game is geared more towards servicing the fans and getting people to come out to the game than actually getting the most out of the opportunity on the field. So because of how many guys are sitting out with injuries and the way they do the draft, we don't really get to see the starters go up against the other starters tomorrow at all. That's not very fun, and it makes it even harder to evaluate all of this stuff we're going to see because the quality of competition won't always be consistent. They went back to the normal scoring system, though, so that's good. Uh, so unless, like, the defense scores a touchdown, they won't get a point like they used to in some of the previous years. The second half, as I understand, is going to be pretty much all backups with a running clock, and there might even be a running clock in the first half, too. Uh, I haven't been able to confirm that, but that wouldn't make any sense to me at all. Like, if that's the case, then this, this really is a waste of time. So... How can Notre Dame make this a worthwhile event for the team while also making it appealing to fans in the crowd? Let me introduce you to the blue and gold games. 
From this point forward, I think Notre Dame should conclude spring practice every year with a full two-hour practice completely open to the fans and the media inside Notre Dame Stadium. But this wouldn't just be a normal practice. That would be boring and nobody would want to come out to South Bend to see it. I suggest that they structure the two-hour window as a series of games and competitions between the offensive and defensive players using a point system so one side can be crowned a winner at the end. It's still very competitive and everyone's evolved. Here's how I envision it. At the start, once everyone has had time to stretch and warm up, the wide receivers, tight ends, and defensive backs would break off to do one-on-ones against each other. The best wide receivers would go against the best defensive backs. The twos would go up against the twos, and the walk-ons would go up against the other walk-ons. And the point system there would be pretty simple. If the offense wins the rep, they get a point. If the defense wins, they get a point. And, you know, if the throw is off or something happens, then it's a push and we move on to the next person. But every matchup would count the same. So the same amount of points is at stake for the ones as it is for the walk-ons. While this is going on, too, the linemen uh, on both sides of the ball can work with the running backs and, and linebackers and do a version of the Oklahoma drill. Now, the Oklahoma drill is one of the most famous fo- drills in all of football, and there's several different versions. But I think the best one for this scenario would involve one offensive lineman and one running back going up against one defensive lineman and one linebacker. The linemen would line up directly across from each other with two bags lined up on the sides, basically to create like a shoot. And then the running back would start around four yards behind the lineman, behind the offensive lineman, I mean. And then the linebacker would start four yards behind the defensive lineman. And then at the whistle, the running back would take the handoff and try to get past the linebacker. If he does, the offense gets a point. And if the D lineman or linebacker tackles him before he gets past a certain point, then the defense gets a point. It's one of the most famous drills in all football and it is extremely competitive if you've ever been a part of them it's it's crazy especially when you got a bunch of people watching and it is a ton of fun to watch I think the fans would really enjoy watching the Oklahoma drill and the one-on-ones because those are highly entertaining and competitive and then we could move on to a more group focused competitions like seven on seven for the skill guys and then while that's going on you could have five offensive linemen go up against four defensive linemen doing stunt drills in the trenches to make it a little bit more even and for these same deal. You'd have the ones on offense going against the ones on defense, and once and then once they've completed a rep, the backups would jump right in there. Now you're getting almost constant competition all over the field, and you get to really see the best going up against the best. Then at the end, you could go full 11-on-11 11 11 with manufactured situations. Um, like Just think about how cool it would be if a full crowd of people got to see the starters go against the starters in a two-minute drill. You could even encourage the fans to be as loud as possible to create a hostile environment for the offense. Just look at last year. The most exciting part of the Blue and Gold game was at the end when Steve Angeli rushed in for a game-winning touchdown. That was awesome, but the drive leading up to that was kind of a snooze because there was a running clock. It didn't look, always look the prettiest, and uh, that would not be the case if it were featuring all of the starters. And then once the starters have their shot, let's bring on the twos. And then if you've got enough healthy guys, you could bring in the threes and the walk-ons in as well uh, to run it. And you don't just have to do a two-minute drill either. I think it'd be awesome to see both sides going at it in red zone matchups. That'd be highly entertaining. Hell, even special teams drills would be a lot of fun. Like if you had the field goal unit run out there and do a fire drill, and that's basically what TCU did against Baylor last year where the time is running out. They don't have a way to stop the ball. Or, or stop the clock by doing a spike or calling a timeout so the field goal unit has to get out there and get the kickoff and make it in a very short amount of time. It's difficult to do, but teams practice it all of the time. So I think it'd be even more fun to see it in a situation like this. And all of these competitions would be worth something, which is why I think it'd be so exciting for the fans. As the practice goes on, I think the intensity would get higher and higher and higher as we get more towards the group competitions. And it also, I think it'd be close way more often than not, unless one side of the ball is just 
clearly better than the other. But I think most of the time these competitions would come down to the very end. And I realized that this would break away from tradition and breaking any sort of tradition at Notre Dame is like going to the DMV. It's insanely difficult every single time, even when it shouldn't be for obvious reasons. And if you think my plan is gimmicky, I would say you're probably right to some extent, but you know what else is gimmicky? The blue and gold game. So I've seen some people suggest the team should scrimmage lesser opponents from the nearby area. Um, I actually think Auburn head coach Hugh Freeze was the first one to suggest that because he said that they should be able to play like UAB or someone like that because both teams would get more out of that. On one hand, I agree with what he's getting at, but on the other, I don't think Freeze or any of these coaches understand the type of backlash they would get if they scrimmage one of these lesser teams and look sluggish. Fans would want their coaches fired immediately, maybe even by halftime, so the risk there just isn't worth the reward, Um, and I think that applies to Notre Dame as well. I also understand that the spring game is a great opportunity for backups and specifically walk-ons to get their shine on the field. From that standpoint, I get it. I'm very pro-WAPU nation. I've already had a former president of WAPU on the show and Sam Bush. Um, I also had Chris Fink on, who was a walk-on at some point as well. So I get it, and I root for those guys. This is a very pro-WAPU podcast. But they would be involved in all of these competitions too. And like I said earlier, the reps in their matchups would count the exact same as the starters. So there's something in it for everyone. Um, It's also a great weekend for recruits and alumni. And I think recruits would love to be on the field during all of this and watching these guys uh, go at it. The recruits and former alumni would probably have more access to this than than what's going on in the actual game currently, and I think it'd be very exciting for all of them. What it really comes down to is making this worthwhile practice, considering Notre Dame only has a finite amount, and each one is extremely important. And I'm confident that they can do it in a way that is still highly entertaining for everyone watching. Like, who doesn't want to see the best player on the team down to the last walk-on have their moment in the spotlight? And I think it's clear everyone will benefit way more from this type of an event than they do in the current iteration of the spring game when the starters aren't even going against the starters and there's a running clock throughout the t- entire second half. And you know who I know agrees with me? The coaches, okay? They surely would like to do this as well. I bet if you ask all of the coaches in, in college football, the vast majority of them would want to do something like this, but due to the pomp and circumstance and tradition, um, it's hard to break away from that. But I think Mike Leach did it before. So it's possible, and I think this would be way better. Now, I'll admit my plan is still a work in progress. I just came up with it today. So if there's some flaws in it, I'm sure some of you will point it out. And I don't know if this will ever happen. But the more I think about it, the more confident I, I am that if Notre Dame started doing the blue and gold games instead of the blue and gold game, it will create a really great environment for everyone involved. All right, that's what I want the spring game to become, but that's not what it is going to be tomorrow. So coming up next, I'll share who I'm most excited to see in the blue and gold game. Something exciting is coming to Built.com on April 22nd. I don't even have all the details yet, but the excitement is real, and it's something you don't want to miss. If you know how Built works, they have the most incredible protein bars in the world, and they do these amazing flavor drops with unreal flavors and limited quantity. So... Mark your calendars, head to Built.com tomorrow, Saturday, April 22nd, to be one of the first to discover what all the hype is about. I can't wait to see what the new flavor is, so make sure to use the promo code LOCKEDON15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. 
All right, thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. I'm excited to let you know that Locked On's NFL Mock Draft Special is here, and it's bigger than ever. Follow along all 32 teams' first pick in a six-episode Ultimate Mock Draft experience. Only Locked On can deliver. All episodes are available now on the Locked On NFL Draft Show, which you can find on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so... Now that I've ranted about the structure of the blue and gold game, let's face reality and discuss the game tomorrow. But before I can get into the players I'm most excited to see, I think it's necessary to go over the list of players who won't be available in tomorrow's game because of injury. So the two big surprises, uh, first linebacker Jack Kaiser. It sounds like he's got a broken toe, according to Pete Sampson from The Athletic, as well as tight end Mitchell Evans. I don't think we expected them to be out in this game. Obviously, that's unfortunate because um, Kaiser's getting a little bit more work inside, so it would have been good to see what he can do there. And then Mitchell Evans is trying to replace Michael Mayer, so that's an impossible task, but I do think that Mitchell Evans is up for the challenge, and it would have been nice to see him on Saturday, but unfortunately that's not the case. A lot of the other guys that uh, I'll name, you probably already expected they won't be involved, like tight end Kevin Bauman, Ty Chan, uh, running back Logan Diggs, Justin Fisher is another tight end, and then on defense you got Christian Gray, Thomas Harper, Cam Hart, Devin Houston. All knew that. And then uh, running back Chase Ketter is going to be out. Linebacker Prince Colley. Safety Ben Minnick. Wide receiver Jack Polian. And then you've got guys who've been out for a while, like tight ends Eli Raritan. Uh, defensive back Adon Schuler, and then tight end Charlie Selna, and then running back Jadarian Price and Chris Villata. So not a, to- not a whole lot of running backs to work with tomorrow, but there's still going to be plenty of guys we are going to see, and guys I'm really excited to see, first one being Sam Hartman. This one is obvious. Um, it's the first time fans will get to see Sam Hartman play quarterback at Notre Dame, and we know that he's been dealing with some issues learning the offense and getting timing down with the receivers, but we have also heard, uh, I believe this was from Pete Sampson as well, that Hartman had a really outstanding scrimmage last Saturday, which was not open to the media, but it sounds like Hartman really, really played well. The offense won that scrimmage, and then even on some of the clips that Notre Dame put out afterward, you could see Sam Hartman throw a dime to Chris Tyree on a 20-yard gain that was well covered by the defense, um, but that proved to be sort of the deciding moment in that scrimmage as the offense won the game, and then they got the blue jerseys in this one. So I'm going to be really interested to see just how comfortable does he look Like, I'm not expecting him to light it up and be throwing it all over the field, but I just want to see him look like he's getting a sense of the offense and he's learning um, and he's developing a connection with the wide receivers. I think that's going to be the most important thing with Sam Hartman. And then let's stick with the quarterbacks. I cannot wait to see Tyler Buckner. He's been one of the most talked about players to come through Notre Dame in years, but we still really haven't seen him play much. Obviously, he missed most of last season due to a shoulder injury that he suffered in that Marshall game. It's difficult to get the full Tyler Buckner experience in the spring game because he can't run and he can't get hit, but I'm more interested to see how he's throwing the ball anyway. Like, how much has he improved his accuracy? We've heard a lot of good things coming out of spring practice so far, but it'll be nice to actually see that in person. How does the ball look in the air? Um, Is he throwing any of those fluttering passes that don't have a a great spiral? Like, those are the things that I really want to see from Tyler Buckner because, you know, we've talked a lot about the quarterback competition up to this point. And even though we all still believe that Sam Hartman is going to win out because of what he's already proven to be at the college level, if Tyler Buckner can make this a real competition, I think that shows uh, that the quarterback room is in a very healthy place. And I think we're going to get a good glimpse of that on Saturday, but obviously not the full thing. And I expect this competition to last into the fall. Sticking with the offense, let's talk about the wide receivers, Tobias Merriweather. Wide receiver coach Chancey Stuckey compared him to Randy Moss. So there's that. <laughs> like... I I know that we're all really high on him, but you can't just be throwing out the Randy Moss comparisons willy-nilly. But, you know, there's a very good chance that Tobias Merriweather is poised to have a breakout sophomore season, sort of like Equinemius St. Brown did, because 
Uh, similar to Tobias Merriweather, St. Brown didn't play much at all of his freshman season. And then his sophomore season, he was the best wide receiver on the team by far and really showed that uh, in that season opening game against Texas back in 2016, even though the rest of the season was a disappointment. Um, he's another guy that's been talked about a ton, but we just really haven't seen much of him. I think we would have towards the end of last year had he not gotten concussed. And it sounds like his concussion was very serious. I think Merriweather said over the weekend that he was on bed rest for seven to 10 days. So that's really scary. It's going to be good to see him out on the field healthy again. Um, and as for the freshman receivers, I just want to see one of these guys flash uh, and show showcase kind of what we've been hearing about, about really all three of them. Like Stucky has already said confidently that he considers all three of them hits already. That's rare for a coach to say this early, but it tells you the type of confidence he has in these guys. And I said on Tuesday's show that Caleb Smith's departure and Lorenzo Styles' move to corner should be a very exciting development for fans because it shows you the strength of the room as a whole. And a big part of that has to do with these early enrollee freshmen. So it's going to be the first time we get to see them in action in the Notre Dame uniform. So that'll be very exciting to see. And a, a sort of underrated guy that I'm excited to see is Jabron Payne, the running back. He was the first guy drafted. I could see him having a really big game because we all know what we're going to get in digs and estimate. We're excited to see what Jadarian Price can do, but we're still going to have to wait a little bit to see him. And there's some, been some talk about Jeremiah Love, the running back who's going to enter in the summer. So Payne is sort of forgotten in the whole mix, but um, Coach Dylan McCullough has talked highly of him. He had a nice play in last year's spring game, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do on Saturday because I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities. Then on the defensive side of the ball, Jalen Snead is the number one guy for me, former five-star recruit, and now is the time where we need to start seeing that on the field because if you're a five-star I still don't think the expectation is for every single five-star to come on the field and play a lot as a true freshman. But by sophomore year, if you really are that talented, I think we should start seeing that. And I think that's definitely the case here with Jalen Sneed. With Kaiser out, you would think he'd be getting a ton of reps, and it'd be great to see Sneed flash those skills that made us so excited about him coming out of high school. And, uh, yeah, I think this will be a great opportunity for him as well. And hopefully we'll get to see the player that he's becoming. And then obviously you've got Lorenzo Styles. Um, we've talked a lot about his move to corner on this podcast, but it's mostly been from the perspective of the wide receiver room. I'm actually going to talk more about Lorenzo Styles in the mailbag, but really what is he going to look like at corner? We know he has a history playing the position. He's not coming in um, completely green to the position. His brother's uh, really talented safety at Ohio State. His dad is a defensive backs coach in high school. So we know he's got some natural ability at the position. He's a great athlete, so I'm just going to be really excited to see what he can do. Um, Notre Dame hasn't come out and said that Lorenzo Siles is moving to corner full full time, but based on what he said to the media over the weekend and based on everything we're hearing from the coaches, it certainly sounds like that is the direction we're headed in. So tomorrow's game will hopefully give us a glimpse at, at his starting point at the position in the college level. Then another guy, Xavier Watts, coming out of spring practice. Few players have developed more hype around them now than they did at the start because of how well he's played over the past 14 practices. And we know Notre Dame's safety depth is dire, especially now with Ben Minnick out. Um, Thomas Harper, the nickel safety hybrid, has been out pretty much all of spring. So they really need Ramon Henderson or Xavier Watts to step up this year. It sounds like Xavier Watts is the most likely of the two to do that. And you know what you're getting in T.J. Brown. He'll be a solid rotation guy, but you need more than that. You need a guy to really step up and be a difference maker in the back end of that defense. And it sounds like Xavier Watts is going to be that guy. And it's going to be interesting to see that and how he performs on Saturday. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on him, and I, I, I have confidence that he'll, he'll show out and show us why. 
So I don't know how much we're going to get to see from all of these guys. I think it's going to be a little bit different for each one. Um, and I caution everyone to not get too worked up one way or another because it's just a spring game and it's not always going to be the ones going up against the ones. Um, but it's still exciting to know we're going to get to see these guys in action. I'm really looking forward to it. All right, coming up next, we'll close out the show with a few mailbag questions, including one that I don't think any of you are going to see coming. All right, it is Friday, so we got to do some mailbag questions. This first one comes from Drew Brennan, 77. Shout out, Drew. Uh, longtime listener and longtime caller as well. Drew wants to know, if Lorenzo Styles is playing across two positions, isn't that really saying that he doesn't really have a spot across either? How does Notre Dame figure out a way to get one of their best, best athletes on the field? So, Drew, I, I get your point, and to be honest, this was my first thought initially. Like, if you have two positions, you have none, essentially. But I think we were being too dismissive of what Lorenzo can be at cornerback, and that's why I'm so excited to see him in the blue and gold game tomorrow because he's got a history at the position, family history, and playing history as well. And like you were saying, he's a great athlete, maybe even one of the best athletes on the team. So I think that the adjustment to the position is, is going to be easier than we probably were, were expecting early on. The bigger concern would probably have to do with quarterback depth. I think Notre Dame is really top-heavy right now with Ben Morrison and Cam Hart. But Cam Hart, I mean, shoulder injuries, those things come back a lot, and it's already happened a few times with him. So I don't know how much you can count on him to be healthy all 12 games this upcoming season. And then Jaden Mickey, he's going to be a sophomore with a lot of promise. We know he has a lot of confidence that has come back, thank God, uh, after a pretty rough freshman season. So he's going to be behind him. And then Christian Gray was a uh, early and early freshman that a lot of people are really excited about, but he's dealing with an injury. So I think that the path is there for Lorenzo to, to maybe crack the depth chart as a backup by the end of this season. But I also think there's certainly a path for him to get on the field on special teams. I, he should be a regular special teams guy. And he, I think he could be a truly great special teams player if he buys into it. And there have been enough guys who've switched positions during their career and had success to show that it's definitely possible for Lorenzo, even with a crowded uh, cornerback room. C.J. Procise, he went from safety to wide receiver and then wide receiver to running back, and he really excelled. Matthias Farley went from receiver to safety, and then I think he's still playing in the NFL. Now he's mostly a special teams guy, but still uh, he started at safety a lot during that 2012 season, so it's it's possible. Kavari Russell switched from uh, running back prospect coming out of high school to a starting corner throughout his entire true freshman season at Notre Dame on an undefeated team. So I think it's definitely possible for Lorenzo. It might take a little bit of time, but uh, let's give it a shot and see where, where he can take this. Okay, this one comes from Joey B. What's more overrated every year, Pig Tossel or the Dallas Cowboys? Um, okay, so let me explain Pig Tossel to the listeners who aren't familiar. Pig Tossel is a huge day party put on by the students every year at Notre Dame, typically on the Saturday of the spring game. So uh, unless something has changed, I assume it's going to happen tomorrow. And I feel like 10 years ago, it had a lot more pub, like it was a, a huge deal back then. Now, or at least, let me I shouldn't say now because I graduated almost five years ago. Wow, I'm really getting old. But uh, back then, I think it was appropriately rated because it was just like a big party, a big, big day party that was like four yards combined. Um, but it just had fancier merch. Like that was the biggest difference and you had to pay to get in. Um, I don't know what the deal is with Pigtasso these days. So if there's any current students listening, please hit me up and tell me about it because I'd love to know. But with the Dallas Cowboys, they're nonstop, man. Like you watch any national TV uh, sports talk show or listen to any national radio talk show, it's Cowboys, Cowboys, Cowboys all the time. And trust me, like I work at Fox. We're, we're certainly guilty of it, but I've seen the numbers. And the reason that people talk about the Cowboys all the time is because you guys listen. 
It's crazy how much more Cowboys fans there are than pretty much every other team in all of sports. So, listen, that's the reason why they talk about it. But if you're going to talk about the same team all the time, you're going to probably talk about them in a more positive light more often than not to keep the fan base engaged. And every year we have to hear about the Dallas Cowboys, you know, potentially being this great team. And they haven't been to a Super Bowl in I don't know how many years. So for the sake of this question, I'm going to say the Cowboys are more overrated than Pictosal because I think everyone kind of knows what they're getting in Pictosal nowadays. Or, and maybe it's changed. Let me know. All right. So this last question here, this one's my favorite. This one comes from RW underscore Harris 10. What's the biggest land mammal you could beat in hand-to-hand combat? So I thought about this one. And I even did some research. I tried to see what other people said. And kangaroo is a popular one. A lot of guys think they can beat up kangaroos. I watched some videos. I cannot beat up kangaroos, dude. Those things are badass, and I've got no shot against them. They stand tall. They square up. I'm out. Um, a chimpanzee? What, what are they? They're probably only getting up to like 140 pounds max. I think I could, I think I could take a chimpanzee. Uh, they've got opposable thumbs, too. That has to be taken into account. But they're also like 5'2", 140 pounds max. I'm not the biggest guy, um, but I'm still 5'9", 165. So I think I could overpower a chimpanzee one-on-one. Uh, if they got a few more in there, I'm probably losing that one. What's another one? Maybe a baby bear. That kind of feels mean. I don't want to fight a baby bear. They're pretty cute. Uh, I've seen a few of them, especially when I lived in Connecticut. Uh, we'd get them around our dumpster all the time, and they're big. They're they're scary, even the you know littler ones. So I don't really like my chances against a regular bear. Um, gorilla, no shot. Wolf, no shot. One-on-one against a coyote, I think I could win that. Uh, I'm definitely getting wounded in the process there, but they like to roll in packs, so I think if I somehow got one... Uh, mano y mano. I think that's a battle I can win. People sleep on having imposable thumbs, man. I think I could take control there. So what's another one? Orangutans, they're heavy. They're like 190 pounds, so that could be tough, and they could be pretty ruthless too. So I'm probably forgetting some, but I think those are my picks. I'll take a chimpanzee, and maybe maybe I'm missing some, uh, or let me know. Or maybe you guys think uh, there's no chance in hell that I could take a chimpanzee, and you could also let me know that as well. All right, I think that's... Uh, I think that's a good note to end on. So that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. On the way out, this is your reminder to subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast. And give us a follow on all of our social media channels, which you can find on Twitter at Lockdown Irish, on Instagram at Lockdown Irish Pod, and my personal Twitter account at Tyler Wojak. That's at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. Enjoy the Blue and Gold game. Enjoy your weekend. And I will see you guys again on Monday.